Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. No, no, it's okay. I'm a little rusty, so hopefully this is good. Okay. Let's kick it. This is the Pitchwork Review. I'm Pooja Patel, the editor-in-chief. And today we're going to dive into Olivia Rodrigo's new album, Guts. Olivia first found huge success as a longtime Disney TV star before releasing her debut album, Sour, in 2021. You might remember Driver's License, the heart-wrenching teen ballad that hung out at the top of the charts for what seemed like forever, or the nostalgic pop-punk anthem Good For You. Now she's 20 years old, has won a few Grammys, and just released one of the most anticipated albums of the year. Here to spill their guts. No, you did it. How they feel about the no, new we album? Said, we talked about this. Is Jeremy Larson and Kat saying hello? <laughs> welcome. Hello, we're back, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know these people. <laughs> okay, so let's start with our impulse reactions. We all listened to this album together in the Pitchfork listening room in real time a day or two before it was released. And Kat, you reviewed the album, so I think you kind of went off and started listening to it on repeat immediately thereafter. Yes. But what was your first Twitter review, 140 characters or less, take? I thought it was really fun and had so much personality in a way that I didn't expect listening to Sour because Sour was more of like a heartbroken breakup album. And then I thought that maybe the ballads were kind of duds. But overall, I was very pleasantly surprised by how much character it had. Jeremy? My cynicism was washed away almost immediately. Hell yeah. The minute <laughs> that I listened to this, because I was, I still remain a little skeptical of Sour, and I think I was a little protective of my little rock music that I grew up loving so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think with this album, she really won me over. Well, Olivia Rodrigo has grown up a lot mm-hmm. in two years, as she has said in multiple interviews. I am quoting a line from her interview with Phoebe Bridgers, where in response to something, she says, I must have been wide-eyed, bushy-tailed, and 18 years old then. (laughs) Uh And then also in, I think, her own PR, she says something about growing up by 10 years in the span of 18 to 20. And as someone who is, (laughs) and that's a mood, okay. As someone who is far removed from being eighteen, Cat, do do you mind maybe just giving us the explainer on like where Olivia Rodrigo is in her life and the distance between. 17 and 20. (laughs) (laughs) My friends and I love to be like, wow, 23-year-olds, 24-year-olds are the worst. And then it's like, well, (laughs) how many years past that are we? (laughs) So Olivia Rodrigo has spent basically her entire life 
acting or doing some sort of performance. She started out at Disney. She was on this show called Bizarre Vark where she plays like a teen vlogger. And mm-hmm. then she went to High School Musical, the musical, the series, which <laughs> is this TV show about kids who go to the same high school as High School Musical was filmed. And then they do a theatrical production of High School Musical. So both of those shows that she was a part of are extremely meta. She is playing performers or someone, you know, has like public facing in both of them, which I think then like threads in her work in an interesting way, because in a lot of her music videos, she is very clearly signaling to you that she is like performing. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But the first real song that she released was like a high school musical, the musical of the series song, which is called All I Want. And it was, you know, a ballad. And then she released Driver's License. It almost like immediately went viral and that kind of kickstarted her career. She claims that she wasn't anticipating to be that popular and her goal wasn't to be like a pop star. It was more to be like a singer songwriter. And she seems like very intensely focused on craft. I should also backtrack a little and say that like she had like a funny rap song with Bizarre Arc, but she like didn't go the traditional. (laughs) Bizarre (laughs) Arc. Was he on Rhyme Sayers? (laughs) Or was he on? No, I'm just kidding. But she like, in contrast to a lot of other like Disney stars, she didn't really like release a lot of music through the Disney Channel mm-hmm. ecosystem and mm-hmm. she signed elsewhere and she like has control of her masters and she like intentionally picked collaborators like Dan Nigro because they were like willing to give her criticism. Anyway, she blew up with driver's license. It seems like she was dealing with some heartbreak. She made a breakup album with Sour and then after Sour, she was dealing with like a lot of immediate fame and It seems like in the song she talks about, like, wanting some of the shinier aspects of celebrity, but also being wary of it. Mm -hmm. And then I think she felt immediate pressure to follow up Sour to prove that she had chops and to resist this narrative of, like, this music is really good for a young girl. Like, she's so young. So it seems like she just felt like she had to prove herself. and, And that's where we're at coming into Guts. You look like you you have a question. I can see it brewing. No, I just realized I have a terminal chronic illness, which is that I'm 38 years old. (laughs) I'm so sorry for you. And I just sort of feel like that you guys need to sort of hold space for that (laughs) for me there. That I do. I am I'm afflicted with that. I'm not that much younger than you, but I think I'm like a decade younger in heart. Well, I think <laughs> I just spirit. I want to go back like real quick to driver's license because that was a mo- I, I was sort of watching this happen without any of that context. Mm-hmm. And I was watching the song explode in popularity and I was like, who is this person? To me, she appeared out of nowhere. But, right. there, but there was for a generation who like grew up watching her on high school musical, the musical, the movie, the series. <laughs> um, like that, so there, close. They were they were really excited that like this person has broken out of the sort of Disney realm and is now mm-hmm. in the pop star realm with the big leagues. You it, know, I, I mean, I feel the exact same way. I knew that she was a Disney person. I had no real background though. But then and now, she felt like a theater kid, right? Kat, it sounds like she's reconciling with both being young and not wanting to be 
kind of boxed into the idea of what a young person is. Mm -hmm. So it's like half performance spectacle and half earnest. And it's like really hard for us to distinguish which is which song by song. Who is Olivia Rodrigo right now? Like who is she presenting to the world in this album thematically, spiritually, otherwise? Um, as like a, a messy bitch. Like <laughs> <laughs> I think she seems like after Sour, she seemed almost a little bit embarrassed by the fact that it was a heartbreak album or I watched her documentary Driving Home to You where she was talking about the process of making Sour and like wanted to add Brutal and some of the other more rocky songs just to give it kind of a variation because mm-hmm. she didn't want to be steeped in that sort of like weepier mode for a while. And mm-hmm. so on this album, there are a lot of songs about basically like disappointing your friends by hitting up your horrible ex and then <laughs> having like being like, I should not do this, but also like it's so fun to be devious. And then there's another part of the album, which is her reckoning with her fame and being self-aware about it or just being like, you know, I was thrust into this whirlwind after sour and I made some bad decision uh, on making the bed. She talks about being with Fairweather friends. On Teenage Dream, she's grappling with people seeing her as this like precocious person and what if she can't live up to that? But also like that kind of commentary can be so condescending. So those are the things that she's reckoning with and and how she's presenting herself, like both a messy person and also someone who's trying to really seriously think about where she's situated in her career. I think so much about being young is about feeling self-consciousness and like feeling aware of your every action. So and much of life is life. about Right, exactly. <laughs> right, but it's, but it's sort of, you, you hope that like with every year you become, you're like, oh, maybe I will settle into this identity or maybe something else will happen in this next year where I will, I will now become this and that will be who I will be forever. Me and I will, as fuck. Okay. And I will stop, I will stop having to waffle between like other people's idea of me, my own idea of myself. And I feel like that is also what it's like to write a sophomore album, to write a second album. You spend your entire first life writing your first album. Your second album, you just have all of this shit in your head of like, what are people going to think about me? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to go back into writing tabloid songs, but I have to write about the truth of my life. And I feel like what's so good about this album is that you can feel her trying to like get out of her head and just write the simple thing and say it simply, but she's still a really good lyricist. And look, like, respect to Katy Perry's Teenage Dream. Like, there are not a lot of cliches on this album. Like, there's not a lot of sort of goofy aphorisms that feel a little... There are a million. Okay. <laughs> right. Like so it's like half of the fun of this album is how many one-liners but, are exact cliches. <laughs> okay, but they're not like Katy Perry level, where they're like greeting card well, kind of hallmarky the ballads, things. Like there are some like pretty isn't pretty is like cliche after cliche. I've been Like, to be clear, I don't think that cliches are 
bad when they're wielded in a strong way. No, I think I think she renders relatable feelings in a unique way. Mm-hmm. That's what I would say about that's how I would qualify that. Um, super, super, super referential album. Whether she intended it or not, there is just like generations of references in, in the music. And something that I immediately thought about were two songs, um, speaking about being a messy bitch. Uh, <laughs> the song by Garbage, Stupid Girl. Mm-hmm. The song by No Doubt, I'm Just a Girl. <laughs> and how there was this era of girls reflecting on what society must think of them and then rebelling against it. This album feels like the flip of that. It feels like Olivia Rodrigo being like, in fact, I am messy and dumb and a woman and like, fuck you, double middle fingers out. That performance to me is really, really fun. It feels like core to this album. It's actually just like, not only am I a stupid girl or just a little girl, but I embrace that wholeheartedly and I am like being fun with it. Yeah. I feel there's not there's not a lot of society in this album. Like it's wait, is all American bitch not a society song? Mm. That's a good point. You raise a really good point because that is because <laughs> that is like they heard just sort of a sarcastic thing of like I'm who she wants to be all the time. I'm sexy. And that and is I'm so kinda... theater. That is very much a musical theater song for sure. Do we want to talk about influences that we hear on the album, or do we want to talk about good songs? Let's talk about what we hear on the album. The minute we heard it, I just sort of like, here's a playlist of 25 songs that I hear from like <laughs> from going through mm-hmm. this. And this is a lot of stuff that was on her first album. I think one of the main things that someone my age might hear is like Elastica. But, you know, I hear like L7 and Hole, and I hear a lot of Billie Eilish in this too. Like I think... They're contemporaries, obviously, but Billie Eilish and Lord have had such an enormous impact in the pop landscape in the last five years that it's hard not to just drink the water <laughs> and mm-hmm. taste some mm-hmm. of that. I also hear, like, on her ballads, I hear, like, Phil Collins ballads, you know? Like, mm-hmm. like those 80s, like, Berlin, Take My Breath Away. That's just some of it. I, can, I don't want you to list this whole thing. What do you guys hear? Um, Everything. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know, bringing in some younger references like the pop rock girls on a song like Love is Embarrassing. I hear someone like Kelly Clarkson mm-hmm. and just like that that sneering tone. All-American bitch when she's sort of like thrashing about. I hear a lot of like Avril Lavigne or like the All-American rejects in that. Generally, I think about the Veronicas and then in some of the more campy performance songs, a lot of her younger fans had pointed out that on Bad Idea, right, she sounds like Chapel Roan, who is another young artist who works with Dan Nigro. I feel like a commonality among like pop stars who work with him is that they've been doing these sort of bratty, rapping, theatrical songs with a lot of, like, different sonic styles kind of meshed into one. 
Um, I hear some Marina in the diamonds and the way that she elevates her voice on Love is Embarrassing, where she's I, like, I'll, I'll give you everything. Like, I, I can't do it. But like, yeah, that's that feels like a, a big Marina moment. And then some like Kesha also in her affect and the rapping. Whenever she's being a little delirious, that's what I hear. Um, I lost my mind listening to Get Him Back <laughs> because I heard every song that was ever written <laughs> in it. You, like, you suddenly became one with the entire universe. I, I swear to God, like that is a banger. It's going to hit so hard. We should talk about that song in depth just because yes. I think that is one of the huge highlights for a lot of the staff. Okay, can I can I lay out all of the things that I hear in Get Him Back? Do it. So, like, there's this whole stadium stomp element to it. Charlie XCX, boom, clap, very clearly. Hold your noses, plug your ears. Bleachers, I want to get better. Uh, Taylor, we are never, ever getting back together. Huge. Sleigh bells. Huge. Mm-hmm. And then... Krayshawn Gucci Gucci. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Finally some V-Nasty Bay Area representation oh, on oh this podcast. <laughs> like, rap rock be gone. Krayshawn, please enter wow. the room The Krayshawn Renaissance. The Krayshawn Um, Can we talk just about that song for a second? Mm-hmm. Like Gucci Gucci. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, I'm telling you, the tenor of her voice in that and, like, the kind of, like, monotonous uh, speak in it, it's Krayshawn. Can it's I, can I Gucci, Gucci. I, See, that also reminded me of Pepper by Butthole Surfers. Oh, God. Remember that song? <laughs> and I'm going to throw out another recommended, if you like, one of the greatest pop punk songs of all time, Fat Lip by Sum 41, mm. which is, like, mm-hmm. rapping in the chorus and then an absolutely killer hook, mm-hmm. you know? Even Beastie Boys. Beastie Boys, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. And and like for Cat, a modern reference <laughs> would be for you is a hundred Gex Hollywood Baby, which I actually <laughs> yeah. think I actually think this album shares a lot of like heart and soul with. What you coming back, baby? Are you getting lazy? Clear blue sky, but it rains all the late fees. Did you get the payment? We had an arrangement. We don't wanna watch the news, we just read Let me sort of bring this back to why this is a pop album, right? Like, music's always in conversation with itself, like, since the dawn of pop music. It's always been talking to itself. I think what's so fun about this album is that it's having so many cool conversations, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we can play Spot the References all day long, but that's, in part, like, that's why it's so rewarding to listen to, because you hear somebody who's so connected with the present of what's happening. This isn't a nostalgia album. I hear people saying, like, oh, it's just, like, a nostalgia, like, bait. And I'm like, I don't think so, because there's so much new stuff here, yeah. you know? But but you can hear it talking to things that happened 15, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, and then it's so disheartening to see people just, like, try to play police where it's like she is copying other people. And it's like, no, you don't really understand how music works. You got to steal. You got to steal stuff. I'm David Remnick, host of The New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, The New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay. 
Okay, a lot of highlights, a lot of references, a lot of things that are really fun on this album. What are your favorite songs? Mine is Vampire. And I've come around to this. Fascinating. 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 Wait, why? Because Kat and I and you had a conversation about Vampire when that song came out. Yeah, you were not. You were not into into it. it. So, (laughs) and in fact, this side of the table was like, please get into it, Jeremy. No, let me explain why. Okay, so (laughs) what I realized about this song is that this song is talking to my inner musical theater kid. Mm -hmm. And I think I was trying to silence that Mm -hmm. because I wanted to be cool. But what I realized is that this song is Adele's Hello meets Defying Gravity from Wicked. (laughs) You're not selling this song. (laughs) No, but that's what it is. That's like what the song is. It is about like builds. It is about like Mm -hmm. hitting giant chest voice money notes at the end that nobody else can sing. And that's what like was so rewarding about those two moments. And I think this is like her big diva moment on it. And I was a little skeptical of Olivia Rodrigo, the diva, when that lane is like so very much filled with a lot of other people. But I've come around to this song and I think like the moment when the drums kick in and the rave up kind of starts at the end, it's really hard not to be swept away in the drama of it. Bloodsucker Fame Fucker is an incredible double punch. Um, Best song, hands down. We already talked about it. Get him back. Every single line is a banger. The conceit is so clever of like, I want to get him back as in like, I want to get revenge. And then I want to get him back as in like come back to my life and let's make out. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So many funny lines like, I am my father's daughter. Maybe I can fix him. Her dad's a therapist. Even like the part at the end where she's like, I got him good or whatever. And then the joke is like, obviously, she didn't get him good. It's such a fun song and like her cleverness really shines through. And then another song that is super funny in a similar vein is Ballad of a Homeschooled Girl. I love when she goes... Thought your mom was your wife, called you the wrong name twice, can't think of a third line, la 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 la. Great, great moment. For me, I love Love is Embarrassing, Mm -hmm. but the kicker is bad idea, right? Like, very curious to see where it ranks in our year-end list. The lies we tell ourselves in order to get through the day have been encapsulated (laughs) in this song in such a perfect way. Like, seeing you tonight is a bad idea, right? And then you say it enough times to convince yourself that maybe it's a good idea. (laughs) Just this girl creating chaos for herself and then convincing herself that it is the right move. So fun, so perfect. Another, like, I I hear L7 on it, but I also... (laughs) You're going to love this. I'm staring directly at Jeremy. Okay, hear me out. Toadie's Possum Kingdom. (laughs) Yeah, hell yeah. I'm with it. I'm with that. 
Kat Chang has logged out of the chat. (laughs) Texas's own toadies. I I feel like not only sonically, but this is like in direct conversation with the lyrics of that song. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's the the distorted bass, too. That's great. I'm hearing and seeing like this song from 20 years ago speaking directly to the response that this current pop star is singing. Yeah. Okay, we'll do we'll do Possum Kingdom at karaoke. Watch one person do it at karaoke, you'll be one over forever. It's great. Um, let's talk about songs that maybe didn't hit. Um, what could have been cut? We gave this an 8.0. It was slightly under BNM. That implies that there was something that could have left. I feel like the most immediate cut, and I feel like a lot of people are in agreement with this, like not just in our staff, but generally speaking, like she should have cut logical. I think the writing it just seems like we're suspended in the world of cliche, like water, raining, currents, castles built up high, in contrast to something like vampire, where there's like a few wording choices to kind of make the tropes more interesting. It doesn't really seem like that exists here. And then it is a more like down-tempo ballad. So especially when put up against these really fun animated songs, it just feels like even if you're not listening to the lyrics, it just feels like a dud. What's your take on The Grudge? Which I don't think is a cut, actually. It was just disappointing to hear in the context of the album because it sounds so much like Driver's License. And it could be intentional, but it's still just, like, not super fun. Uh, Like, it, it really just feels like a retread. I feel like a lot of the ballads, if you listen to them independently, there are things that you can pick up on that you really like, but they somehow feel like they ruin the momentum of the album. The sequencing is a little bit strange, I feel like, right? Like, Lacey appears pretty high up Mm -hmm. and cuts what is a pretty, like, rollicking set right before that. The ballads just feel, like, overly produced. There's kind of, like, a twinkly feeling to every little bit of it. I don't think they're dishonest. I don't think there's a guy, you know, with a cigar in his mouth being like, you gotta have some ballads here, kid. Like, I don't (laughs) think that's happening. But but the, some of the magic comes off it. Even though I do think there's, like, really good songwriting on The Grudge and uh, Lacey, I actually think, is, like, a, is yeah, like a really a nice— well-written. It's, like, a really well-written song. Um, I See, and the thing about Lacey is that it could have hit. For me, it was the—what we're calling the indie pop voice, like the— <laughs> the, the nine vowels in one— Cursive singing. I feel like there is, like, this fragile vibrato element to it that is part 30 other singers that I wish she had just been herself singing that. It sounds like boy genius audition. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and, like, again, our generational gap is revealing itself. (laughs) 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 Because, yeah, it's, like, part Lord, part Kate Bush, part Bjork, part Phoebe, part everything. Mm-hmm. But it's like a forced warble. Yeah. Jeremy, you have access to these hidden songs. There's bonus tracks on each different vinyl version of mm-hmm. this. And one of them is a song called Obsessed, 
which is probably the song that when people hear it, they're going to be like, why wasn't this on this album? It's kind of like she plays the role of the of the new girlfriend obsessing over uh, somebody's ex-girlfriend. If I were to say why it was taken off the album, I would say it's probably because it's too, she probably didn't want people to speculate about who or what or when or why like this happened. I don't know. Maybe we can take a listen to it and tell me what you guys think. I'm so obsessed with your ex. I know she's been asleep on my side of your bed and I can feel it. I'm staring at her. The line, I know she's been asleep on my side of your bed and I can feel it. <laughs> Wait. Yeah, okay. Oh my God, I'm obsessed with this song. It's so good. <laughs> this is amazing to witness right now. <laughs> and I remember every detail you would ever tell me, so be careful, baby. <laughs> I love when she plays the like creepy psycho person. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, sorry, sorry. <laughs> she's got those lips. She's got those hips. She's the life of every fucking party. All right, cat, go off. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, we all need a moment. <laughs> gay, gay vibes on this album. Uh, when we listen to Lacey, I think I put in the slack, kind of homoerotic, mm-hmm. trying to be, like, diplomatic about the situation. Mm-hmm. But I think this song and then Lacey are two songs about being obsessed with another woman in a way where it's, like, kind of envy, but also, uh, like, this sort of real desire baked into it and in Lacey like the way that she like fixates on the details of the other person Mm -hmm. can feel super romantic Uh, you know like ribbons in your hair she compares herself to like a perfume kind of lingering on the skin I really like the way that she delivers the phrase I care I care I care it's so tender but there's also this huge sense of defeat and this real vulnerability to it. I appreciate her willingness to go there and to sort of explore some of the intricacies of these types of emotions and that tension there. That's probably, I guess, what I have to say about the homoerotic vibes. (laughs) I also love, she came into the Pitchfork office. We got to talking about something which is kind of known, which is that she's a huge fan of Alanis Morissette. And this song, is she friends with your friends? Is she good in bed? Do you think about her? No, it's fine. Go on, tell me. You ought to know vibes so hard. Yeah. You can hear it. Would she go down on you in a theater? Theater. I know the version of me. Is she perverted like me? Would she go down on you in a theater? Does she speak eloquently? And would she have your baby? So we've been talking a lot about just like Olivia as pop icon, as pop star, as embodiment of young woman. Um, And all these references, the one that we haven't said explicitly yet is Taylor Swift, which is, I think, a pretty immediate parallel also. Or that she's referenced Lana Del Rey in song or that she, you know, credited Paramore on Good For You. Where do we see Olivia standing in, like, the current pop moment? Like, where does she play in the landscape of pop music right now? So I think, to me, there's been, like, two shifts that happened before this. The first one was Madonna in the 80s. And then I would also say that something happened in the 2000s where you had Amy Winehouse 
Adele, and Kate Nash. The Amy Winehouse, Adele, like British pop thing that was happening there was this huge shift. And then you have to say that like that has shifted again towards Taylor Swift. We're, I'm talking about pure pop music, right? Like this is <laughs> what does that mean, Jeremy? I, I mean, it's I'm talking about. I hate using this word, but like when you talk about pop girlies. <laughs> yes, you're speaking to two. <laughs> God, that was so hard for me to say. That's what I think about when I think about like pure pop music, right? It's like Katy Perry's teenage dream. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think like this to me is like speaks to a new generation of pure pop music that is part Taylor Swift, part Phoebe Bridgers, part pop punk revival, mm-hmm. right? And like this is what they're going to look back on in 30 years when they make a movie about 2023. It's just going to be Olivia Rodrigo. Hmm. I don't know if hmm. I buy into this thesis because Billie Eilish's whole thing was doing this sort of like trap inflected spooky stuff. So that's already a deviation from the pop. And then even this like pop punky thing we see in like, I don't know, like ABCDEFU by Gale. Like there are a lot of people who are playing with this pop But this rock is template. the most popular album by a long shot. I mean, I also, I'm, I mean, let me, let me put forth Beyonce, I know, and Dua Lipa. I feel like dance music. Well, that's a good question. Can you dance to this? Like, what is the dance factor of Olivia Rodrigo? Is it just pogoing up and down? Yeah, like, and, then what you, is yeah. and then you thrash yeah. your head, and, and then you take your hairbrush, and you give the best performance right. of your life right. in your mirror. I do like the idea of thinking about this as, like, major movements of music, kind of like the the mountain peaks that, like, shoot up out of the earth yeah. around pop music historically since the dawn of time have happened during like moments of major strife and I feel like part of the appeal of Olivia Rodrigo and maybe the lasting power of her and this album being at the ground level of her career because she's 20 years old is that it is a reflection of like looking for frivolity and empowerment in times of like deep anxiety and stress and being a young person who is doing that. Ellie Golding had this quip earlier this year where she introduced her album as my least personal album yet, which was kind of a spin on how artists are always advertising their music as their most personal and this tendency for artists maybe inspired by a Taylor or a Phoebe to get like really specific about their experiences and to sort of like bear it all. Olivia's album is not personal in that way. Like there's no like red scarf detail Mm -hmm. or anything Mm -hmm. like that. It's mostly her inhabiting tropes and like playing with them very well or being like clever within those tropes but she's not bearing it all and it also in interviews she is really reticent to get specific right. especially about like the gossipy things so I think that's kind of an interesting thing to note here is maybe moving away from this more confessional singer-songwriter type of mode back to a form of escapism but that still is real and sort of grounded in real emotions. Totally. Well, we've talked about a lot before we part ways. If you love this album, what would you recommend to others to listen to? Um, The Veronica's 2007 album, Hook Me Up, The 10 Things I Hate About You soundtrack, (laughs) (laughs) Charlie XCX's Sucker, Always is Blue Rev. If you really like this album... I would recommend Hole's second album, Celebrity Skin. That's when they kind of turn up the gloss, turn up the power pop. The the dark version of this album, 
would be listening to The Offspring's debut album, Smash, Mm -hmm. which is, I think, also about low self-esteem and going through life and figuring shit out. Like, Bad Idea Right reminds me of Self-Esteem, which is a song that I listened to a lot when I was a kid. It's a great song about hooking up with an ex when you're drunk and fucked up. Um, I would recommend, no doubt, Tragic Kingdom. I feel like it's got spunk and it's got ballads and it's got... Ska? And it's got a young girl in her prime. Can't really vouch for much that Gwen Stefani has done since, but we'll take that era. Well, Jeremy and Kat, thank you so much for coming on to talk O-Rod. Thanks for having us, Pooja. It's been wonderful. Glad to be back. <laughs> Would you say it's a good idea, right? Boo. No, you can't end it. <laughs> we talked about this. The Pitchfork Review is a production of Condé Nast. Mark Yoshizumi and Elia Einhorn at 3DB are our producers. Ryan Domble is our showrunner. Jessica Grimalia is our music supervisor. Check out Kat's review of Guts on Pitchfork.com. Thanks for listening.